It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. This is the Franchise Academy Podcast, and we have a great guest today. I'm very excited to have Josh Cohen speaking with us. If you've uh, ever listened to us or watched us on YouTube before, you know that the Franchise Academy is a service that helps people understand the franchise world. So we usually work with folks and help people who are, you know, frustrated with their career and they want to make a change. Other people I work with want to diversify their investments. Other people are just kind of late. They get laid off from corporate America, whether it's the first time or the fifth time. After a while, it gets tiring and they want to control their own destiny through franchise ownership. So I help people understand the whole scope of franchising and really what would be good, the pros and cons. Franchising is not for everyone. And so I help people not make mistakes in choosing a business. And we work with companies throughout the country that are, you know, some of them are new and have only 25 franchisees. And some of them are, you know, old franchises that you know the name of, and they have hundreds and hundreds and some, sometimes thousands of franchisees across the globe. So we try to figure out what's the best fit. And, and for this podcast, I'm excited because this is a really unique opportunity and so I have Josh Cohen with us, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Junk Luggers. Junk Luggers, and I have the bio here, I just have to say that what I like about it is this is a, pur- a purpose-driven business, which is my mantra as in what I do. And Josh is, is really passionate and, and a, an entrepreneur building a national franchise system, one franchise at a time. And he's committed to sustainability, which is awesome. So it's a sustainable business that directly enhances lives, communities, and the environment in which their franchisees operate across the country. So I want to welcome Josh. Hello. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, This is fantastic. Thanks for coming on and and, uh, giving us your time. And I can't wait to uh, hear some of uh, your stories and, and some nuggets you'll share with the listeners. So this is really cool. Me too. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah, cool. So where are you located? We just relocated, actually. We're in Seymour, Connecticut. Seymour, Connecticut. Where is that in relation to Hartford? It's probably an hour south of Hartford, and we're up here in the hills surrounded by beautiful trees and grass, and we're in the mountains. It's the mountains of Connecticut. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is awesome. It's just across the state line from kind of where I am. I'm in the mountains of New York State, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you can't really tell the difference, but I have a little place up here in uh, upstate New York near where the original Woodstock Festival happened literally 50 years ago this month. So I'm I'm in my little Woodstock room in my place. And so a lot of festivities coming up around that. So nice. this is, um, this is really an exciting company and, and it's different. So I really want to find out, of course, first, what made you start this particular business? How did this get going in your head? Yeah. So I always laugh about that because like my grandmother loves to say, I went to college to be a garbage man. <laughs> <laughs> But then, you know, she laughs and she says, but she's proud of me. So that's a good thing too. So I started this this company in college. I was 21 years old. I was a, in my junior year actually studying abroad in Australia. And a friend said he made a hundred bucks hauling away his neighbor's refrigerator. And I said, huh. hey, that's a great idea. That's a nice way to make some extra cash. I could do that. And that's really what I was looking to do at the time was just to make some extra cash for the summer. 
So the idea stuck with me. I went home, printed up some flyers to my parents' computer, 21-year-old college student, wants to help you haul away your old junk and donate items to Goodwill, recycle whatever we can and bring the rest to the dump. Mm. Very simple, super cheesy Microsoft Word, you know, icons. Right. <laughs> and uh, printed out a whole bunch of flyers and just started going door to door, handing them out in my neighborhood. And, and that's how the business got started. I uh, used my mom's SUV to haul junk and uh, was doing it, you know, mornings and evenings before and after my internship. Absolutely love that. And that's how some of the greatest businesses are started, right? Kind of like, quote unquote, in your parents' garage. So that's that's fun. And so what made you go from like, okay, I got this one thing going, making a couple of bucks to actually franchising? So, you know, the first thing I guess I it took me a couple of years to realize was this is all I wanted to do. I realized from the beginning that I was passionate, but family pressure made me made me say, all right, let's stick with the day job for now. Let's go the traditional route. Let's meet my parents' expectations, right? So that's what I did for, for a couple of years. This was a side gig. It was something that I did on nights, weekends, and then I eventually hired people and continued. I was in doing commercial real estate at the time, selling commercial real estate. But it was just this like burning desire within me that I wanted to, what we call bleed green. Our company colors are neon green. And so about two years in, I decided I wanted to pave my own path, uh, have my own project and, and really follow my passion to bleed green. Mm. So we start to expand. And, and when I really got focused on it, it was great to prove it as a concept, I guess, as a part-time side hobby. But when I really started to focus on it full-time, it really started to take off. And I think that's like a lot of things, right? What you focus on is what's going to, what you're going to change. Absolutely. So, you know, from one SUV, we, we, uh, we purchased a really old truck, $3,000, like 1987 Ford with this makeshift dump body on the back. I had $3,000 left in my bank account from old bar mitzvah money. That's what I used to purchase this truck. <laughs> and we called it old rusty and it made us a lot of money. Wow. So really spent a couple of years building our, our first location in Connecticut. And then I really want to expand throughout the entire New York City metro area. So, and I also want to live in New York City because I was young and that's where it was at. Right. So we relocated the offices to New York City right in the middle, right by Times Square. And over those five years, we did just what I was hoping to do. But just not as well. So we uh, we expanded into New York City, then we expanded into Long Island and Queens, um, and then Northern New Jersey. And I think you know one of the biggest learning lessons from this, and these were all at this point company operations, was that I was going back to focus, getting less focused on each location. The more that we opened, because I was only one person, didn't really know as much about management back then and how to build leaders in remote locations that I won't see so much. And so what we noticed was that each additional location that I was opening as a company on location wasn't doing as well as the one previously. And especially not as well as the first location where it was really focused on, a, on one area, getting to know people, building relationships, marketing, uh, spending marketing dollars in a concentrated market uh, that we really, we really kicked butt when we did it that way. But we did not as we got into these other locations. So I started to learn about franchising. I had a number of customers who would say to me, this is a franchisable business. You should do this. And I knew from early on, like, this is something that could work anywhere, right? right. 
And at its core, the business is really simple. We're picking up junk and we're getting rid of it. And in our case, we're really focused on getting rid of it the right way, in a sustainable way. But like any business, there's a lot behind the scenes that makes it run and makes it run well, right? Yeah. So I learned about franchising and started to pursue franchising. It really took uh, me and the team almost 10 years to get into franchising. Made a bunch of mistakes along the way. Spent a bunch of money on people to help us get into franchising who necessarily weren't the right people, but eventually got into it. Uh, so it was about 10 years in. And I guess the nice part of it taking that long was we, it really gave us time to improve. And I won't say perfect because it's never perfect, but really improve our systems. Yeah, no question about it. And I think the whole 10 years and learning uh, and making mistakes is probably really, really valuable, especially, you know, if I was a franchisee, I want to know that you went through those trials and tribulations already and you're not going to do it, you know, now. I mean, there's always things that happen and you got to fix them, but but you went through all of that. And I just wanted to, I don't know if you could really pinpoint this, but as you, you're trying to franchise your business and you said you got involved with one or two people or companies that you know, they kind of like took your money maybe and, and really didn't do anything for you. What signs to watch out for? When, if somebody's going to, because there's people on this that are listening to this that are going to franchise their business. Well, you know, what do we, what do we look out for to, to not make those mistakes? Yeah. So there's a lot of great people in franchising. I found that it's a nice small industry, even though it represents a huge part of the business in America and in the world. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, a lot of people out there who just, you know, are offering services are not going to necessarily add as much value. I would say some of the things, you know, from what you just asked were, don't go with the cheapest lawyer out there. <laughs> right. That doesn't necessarily work. Don't expect that, at least in my case, that a lawyer is the only person you need to talk to about how are you going to build this thing and what is your strategy behind it. I think a lot of attorneys think that they're the go-to because they build the franchise agreements. But in my case, I found that um, hiring an experienced franchise consultant uh, really made a difference and helped us get into franchising and get going. Yeah. So I would say that and then... There's a lot of people who make a lot of promises. So it, to me, we look for is the proof in the pudding. Have they done it again and again? What are the results? Let's talk about the results. Franchising in general is an entrepreneurial industry. So there are a lot of people who are starting things all the time, trying new things. And I tend to to want to go with the guy who's, or, or the, the gal who's, you know, building something from scratch because that's what I did. But I think what you find is a lot of times people just don't have their systems worked out yet. So to be a guinea pig, you know, at any stage, especially as a new franchise company uh, is risky. And I learned that. Yeah, that's so true. That's part of, you know, my mantra, you know, when I've been involved, I own an op owned and operated several franchises and, you know, getting into something brand new, something that's like, not even a proven market. It was always risky and I ended up failing and, and failing in a, in a business of what, what made me a franchise expert, actually, not the success that I had in previous franchises. It's timeless information there. And there's a lot of help in franchising, which is really, really awesome. Everything from franchise lawyers to, you know, to consultants and various suppliers and getting involved with the International Franchise Association is a great thing to do. There's a lot of help. But what do you say to somebody who that says to you, yeah, I got a great concept. I want to franchise it because, you know, wow, I can make a lot of money on those franchise fees that you charge, you know, when the upfront franchise fee. So a couple of things. And my position on this has actually changed because of an experience with another franchise we're based in Long Island. 
So what I would what I used to say was take more time, really develop the model, make sure it's right, build your team. And then I met Josh York, who you may know, who's a gym who started Gym Guys, and I gave him that exact advice. And he kind of laughed at me and he goes, I'm gonna do this anyways, and I'm gonna build it. And now he's the fastest growing, I think, fitness franchise concept out there. So it's not always the case, and that's not always true. And I'm glad he didn't listen to me. And we <laughs> laugh about that quite a bit. But I do definitely think you need proof of concept, right? People who franchise businesses without having a proof of concept, without having at least one location that's, that's doing well, uh, I think is really risky. And that happens all the time. So, uh, you know, at least slowing it down to the point where you have proof of concept, something replicatable, I think is key. Yeah, it's so true. The proof of concept and I always say to folks, you know, if you're going to be a, you know, if you're a middle manager and you're going to buy a business, you should have at least 25 franchisees up and running, you know, successfully for at least a year is good proof. Unless the franchisor has built other franchises before. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Yeah. What are some of the greatest challenges that you have faced personally in, in building your business? I think a lot of, with anybody really, the challenge can be between your two ears, Mm. (laughs) biggest challenge. And I think I am very emotionally attached to the junk luggers, my company, what I started, it's like my baby. And when things don't go well, I used to take it very personally. And I still do to a degree, but even more so. And I think learning how to take myself out of that was is important. Learning how to deal with stress was really important. I learned the importance of uh, exercise daily, uh, before the day gets started, eating healthy, surrounding yourself with positive people. You know, I know these are not new concepts, but it took me a while to really believe in them and practice them myself, and they made a world of difference. Yeah, I think I think it's great. I mean, you talk we we. We were at a conference, you and I, a while back, and you had mentioned that you were in a uh, networking type group. And we found out we had a mutual friend, Nick Tarasio, Mm -hmm. who owns uh, Ventura Air in uh, Long Island. And so that kind of, you know, you were in a, was it like a mentoring group? What, What kind of group was that? So I've been in a, in a few different things. Um, that was entrepreneur, the entrepreneur organization, which is this awesome uh, organization of people who have growing businesses over a million dollars in annual sales. So that was one great organization for me. I'm now in YPO, which are people who have a little bit bigger businesses. And, and so as I've, as our businesses have grown, we have new challenges. So I get to surround myself with people who are in, in similar boats there. I've also worked with a number of business coaches along the years, mm-hmm. um, which have been you know, instrumental in helping me to get to the next level because they provide this experience, but outside perspective versus I'm in it day to day. Right. Yeah. I think having a coach is one of the most important things in anything that you're doing, especially in in business. There's so much that could come from someone looking from the outside in who has been in your shoes before. So that's, I find that really interesting. I wanted to ask about, you know, you're picking up people's unwanted items. You know, as I say, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Yeah. What's some of the craziest stuff that you guys have picked up and found on a truck? Yeah, um, a bunch of stuff, actually. Uh, one of the coolest things that we hauled away at a pretty new Harley Davidson. Guy was moving across to California. His wife said, you're not taking that with you when he was in a rush. And so uh, we, we, he paid us to take that away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. I'm um, taking that away. Yeah. 
We took away a uh, truck full of naked mannequins. We got some looks as we were unloading that. Uh, (laughs) We've taken away a number of live animals that have been left over at somebody's home or they're just like, I'm not taking this, you take it or they're stand behind, including we've taken a chicken. One of our, our guys brought home a pet snake. We actually saved a whole litter of kittens from being uh, like going into the landfill and being, you know, murdered. Cats, dogs, so a bunch of animals. Wow. And then I think one of the most interesting things that we found, and it's also based on the timing of when we found it, was we actually picked up a human skull once, assuming it was fake, it was a prop or something. We went, we, uh, we brought it to the dump. And we go back a little bit later and there are police cars everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. And they were questioning us, what happened here, all this stuff. It turns out it was something that somebody had ordered like online through some rogue website where you can get these. But it happened to be on Halloween that we found this, even though it wasn't a prank. So it made the evening news that night, <laughs> a bunch of news stations. Oh, wow. That's hysterical and crazy and scary all at the same time. <laughs> yep, for sure. Wow. That, that's amazing. And, and, it, and it, you know, it makes business interesting. So if you, you know, a lot of times people feel like, oh, I, I don't want to buy a franchise because, you know, I'm going to be stuck in the store 60, 70 hours a week. And, you know, and it's just a pain in the butt. But this, this is like way different, like a day in the life of a junk lug or franchisee. You're not in the office, right? I mean, what, no. what does that look like? Yeah. So and ideally, you're not on a truck either, at least for very long after you start. So I would say for the staff that work on a truck, people may have this assumption that who wants to work on a junk truck, but a lot of the people who work on a truck love it because every day is different. They're meeting different types of customers, going into all kinds of homes or businesses and seeing all kinds of crazy stuff and building relationships with customers. That's such an important part of what we do while we're doing it because it's not just junk we're hauling away a lot of times. It's things that are sentimental to people, have a lot of memory. You're going into their home. You're taking stuff out they've had for a long time. So they want to see that you care. A lot of times they want to tell you the history of it. Uh, that happens more than you can imagine, Yeah, including starting with my very first job, which is how I really fell in love with this business. And they want to see uh, also, and, and really how we stand out from our competition. They love to see that we are doing what we can so their memories are not tossed in the trash. Right, right. So what's that first story that made you fall in love? So my very first job was for uh, an elderly woman in my neighborhood. I had knocked on her door, handed her one of those flyers I told you about. And it turned out that her husband of 35 years had just passed away. Hmm. And her kids had moved out. They were fully grown and she had a full house full of stuff. And she said, all right, my husband passed away. I need to move on. I want to downsize. So at that point, I was using my mom's SUV. I was going 6 a.m. in the morning until my internship started. And what happened was I was going into our basement. That's where we started. I was hauling out boxes. Every single box I was hauling out, she was giving me the history behind. She was walking with me to my truck, telling me where it came from, what it meant to her. You know, why doesn't her son want this anymore? (laughs) Stuff like that. And we built a really nice relationship. And I could tell... I wasn't just a junk guy to her. I was like a therapist to her and she needed to talk to somebody and she needed to feel like as she was parting with her, the memories of her life, that somebody was taking care of those things and somebody cared about her and wanted to, to talk to her also. So that, that was so, so key for me in my career here. 
that that is really amazing and unexpected in this kind of business makes sense when you explain it it's so much more than hauling trash and then there's the whole sustainable piece which adds you know to the whole altruistic feel in my opinion anyway so what does that mean exactly you're trying to get rid of things consciously so that means you're just not dumping an old computer into the dump, but you, right. you know, there's other things that could be done. Is that what, is that what that means? Yeah. So, you know, we consider ourselves the leader at sustainable junk removal and we may not be the biggest company yet, but we are leading the charge when it comes to taking away people's stuff and disposing of them in the most environmentally friendly way. And so what that means for us is, well, first of all, we take away a ton of furniture, old furniture. A lot of that stuff is, is maybe older and dated, but, but quality, solid, uh, solid wood, American made, doesn't need to be thrown in the trash. And so what we want to do as much as possible is create this circular ecosystem or be a part of this new movement of, of not just buying new things and throwing away and buying more things and throwing them away. So we started with donating. So donating a lot of stuff directly to donation centers, not only like Goodwill, Salvation Army, Habitat for Humanity, great organizations in their own rights, but also local charities, uh, local religious centers. We find people who have specific needs. We donated a piano, I think I told you about this, Tom, to a shelter for people who have HIV. And the story that we got back from that was we got a picture of everybody huddled around the piano singing. And these are people who, uh, a lot of them are in you know, really tough times and it brought joy to their world. And how fulfilling is that, right? So in junk... It is easy to load up a truck, push a button. You see the, the back go up and everything goes right into the, to the landfill, the dump. It's so easy to do that. It takes a lot more work to do what we do. So we've really built this culture and that's what it takes. It takes a culture. It doesn't just take you know, putting some marketing materials on a website that we donate or recycle because you've got to get full buy-in from, from your team if you're going to get other people to go through these efforts. So we've built a culture around you know, donating, recycling, and now upcycling. And so if I can briefly explain what that means. Oh, no, I'm not going to allow you to do that. Of course, please. (laughs) I don't want to do all the talking here. (laughs) So a few years ago, for for a while, we had started to feel the pain of donation centers getting pickier, being selective with what they would take, not taking something because there's a scratch on it, or just simply because they're full. That happens all the time. And so... Uh, it pained me and the team to just see all this good stuff would not have a home, not have a place for it. And so we took matters into our own hands and we built the first location was literally out of my brother-in-law's single car garage doing weekend tag sales. And we started to just repurpose some of the stuff we were getting listed online and, and sell it with a portion of the proceeds going back to a local charity. It's always been, we've partnered with local charities for this. Sure. We've, we've built that up um, pretty significantly, you know, our, at our flagship location in Connecticut, we have a 12,000 square foot showroom. It's really an old warehouse that we've converted. It's a, like a treasure hunt for most of the people who come in because we get all kinds of, of cool stuff and uh, we repurpose stuff and we have people who are coming in, we're selling these uh, items at super discounted rates. Nobody can touch it. If you're in the furniture space, 
And we also refurbish furniture. So uh, we have a whole refurbishing section where we will uh, fix furniture if it needs some some TLC. And also we will repaint uh, furniture. We'll sand them down, put new modern paint on old but quality solid furniture wow. and, and then resell it. So is that just the corporate location or franchisees doing stuff like that too? It's a growing part of our business model. So a number of our franchisees are doing that. Again, it's a culture thing. So this is not, at least at this point, a big money maker for us. It's all about the mission. Our, our 2025 big, hairy, audacious goal is to keep 100% of reusable items out of landfills. So this was a super important, important part of getting closer to that goal. Wow, that's amazing. So, huh. so then who's the perfect franchisee for you, for junk luggers? We have all sorts of franchisees. And I think one of the interesting things is people... Well, do I have to be a big tree hugger to 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 want to be a part of this? And the answer is no, because what we have found again and again is that people may come in with you know an expectation or just desire to grow a great business. I mean, this is an awesome industry. Everybody's got junk, so it's it's really a sales and marketing game, and and getting in front of the right people and then providing them with wow service. But what I've seen again and again, and it goes all the way from the franchise owner down to the guys on our trucks, our luggers, we call them, is that people quickly develop an appreciation for what they're doing and how they uh, play a part on the impact of what they're taking away. Because this is not pie in the sky stuff here. I mean, we are going to homes and businesses. We're taking real tangible stuff. And it's either going to a landfill or it's going somewhere good. So they start to quickly appreciate that they're a part of that mission. That's awesome. What's one thing that you're really fired up about in your business right now? Yeah. So, um, you know, and I was prepping for this interview, I would say this is both the thing I'm most fired up about and what's been creating a lot of aha moments for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I guess backing up for one second, the first thing that I learned early on when I was getting started was I read a book that I'm sure many of you have heard about, or hopefully now you will, called uh, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Yeah, big book in franchising and business in general. It taught me the simple simple concept of you got to either work in your business or on your business. And if you want to grow and scale your business, you got to be working more on it than in it. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was a a big thing for me. And then about eighteen months ago, I met someone named Larry Janeski, who's the founder of Contractor Nation. Larry is an author, uh, a motivational speaker, and also uh, a titan of his industry. So he's built a network of over 350 dealers currently. He's made uh, many, many millionaires by teaching them how to be good leaders, good business owners in the contractor and uh, home service space. So I really connected with Larry. I had to hunt him down because he's a busy guy and that's what I did. But eventually we connected. He asked me to bring him a sandwich. I brought him a turkey sandwich to his campus here in Seymour where we are today. Oh, wow. And so just recently I partnered with Larry. He became my business partner in Junk Luggers to help us grow. And I'm so fired up about that because we have joined here. We just moved to this campus on Monday. So Larry's built this campus in the hills here. There's, he's built 10 buildings, some of the most creative, awesome spaces you've ever seen. It, it would rival a Google campus any day of the week. Wow. Um, 
we took over our own building. So we got our junk lugger building. We're still, you know, our, our core team, but now we have 175 people who are additionally there to support us. And, 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 um, as we conquest across the country and across the world, that's amazing. So they really excel at sales and marketing, building great leaders. They have an incredible culture. The last six years, they were ranked as one of the top employers in Connecticut. You know, and, and then the other thing was, was Larry over the last few years has developed something called the School of Entrepreneurship for Contractors. And so I, he invited me to join a couple of these sessions and I got to join over a hundred other contractors who had joined his school and were part of his network um, over the last few years. And what I heard again and again from people is, I've never been happier in my life. I've never been happier in my business and my business has grown many, many multiples. I heard again and again, people saying, I came in, I was doing 300,000 a year, 500,000 a year, a million dollars in business. Three years later, I'm doing three, five, 10, $20 million a year in business. And so he's built this, just this incredible you know, school that's very relevant for people who are in contractors, uh, home services, but really, you know, in a lot of ways for, for anybody who's a, who's a business owner. And that inspired me. I got just so um, excited about what that could mean for our franchisees if they had access to this. So ultimately, I think as you're hearing, there's a lot of value here, a lot more than just bringing on a typical money partner. And so we ended up doing this partnership. We moved up here and it, it's been incredible, even just in the first week. Wow. That's an, that is an incredible story. So Mazel Tov on that partnership. Thank you. That sounds great. Is, is, it, is it like an incubator? Is, is it that or is it actually, it sounds like it's actually more than that. I think it's, um, it's kind of becoming an incubator, you know. Well, yeah, I guess it is. So it's not like he has, you know, 20 other businesses on this campus doing this. They're, they're focused on us, right? And, and, and proving this out. And I think they really believe in our model and they really like us. So and they're incubating us, I would say, more than anything right now. Okay, that's fair enough. That's great. So what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? So Larry talks about one of the concepts in his school of entrepreneurship is called your business as a machine. And what that is, is it's a diagram of a few cogs that when all going together, the business runs well, the machine is running and it's purring and it's roaring. But if one of those cogs is not doing so well, then it slows down the whole machine. So in our case, our business machine is, is pretty simple when you back out of it. You have um, IT is one of our smaller wheels, our, but our biggest wheels are marketing, our appointment center where we book appointments across the country for our franchise partners, and then lugging, right? So doing the job uh, in the field and doing it well. And then as, uh, the, the last small wheel is accounting. So it's really interesting. And, and again, one of the other things he talks about is keeping it simple, that business doesn't have to be so complicated. It doesn't have to be so hard. And for me, I've been in business 15 years now. I, I actually found the opposite. I found like it's been so hard. There's been so many challenges. Um, but in some ways, he's pointing out that I've overcomplicated it. Mm-hmm. And if we really break down the business machine, there's a few things we got to focus on and we got to do really well. And if we do those well, we're doing really well as a company. Yeah, that's great. Great. That's great advice, you know, for anyone. Because uh, I just remember back to my old days and, you know, running a smoothie business, I was worried about all these stupid little things like who's going to do the laundry for the aprons, you know, that kind of stuff ends up taking care of itself. So really, really 
That's great advice. What's one myth about franchising um, or about junk lugging for your case that you would like to bust right here and right now? Well, I think I've already busted the myth about junk just being in, you know, the garbage business. I'd say the myth in franchising and, you know, thinking about something we haven't already hit on is that anybody, you can just franchise your business and it's going to go and you're going to sell a thousand franchises and everybody's going to be happy. What I learned, you know, since joining franchising is it's a very methodical business. You really need to focus on the business machine and then supporting your franchisees Mm -hmm. and doing it the right way and providing a ton of support. A lot of people who get into franchising as franchisees don't have business experience or they have different business experience and they're out there alone and it can be lonely. So for them to not feel lonely, for us to not only spend a lot of time with them directly, but also getting people with with all the franchisees talking, collaborating, learning from each other and leveraging the power of a franchise system, we're all super valuable. And it doesn't feel good if you have a soul (laughs) to have somebody come in, invest sometimes their life savings and then fail. So we have also learned the valuable lesson of not only best practices for supporting franchisees, but best practices around managing their expectations before they even start. And I think I learned that the hard way. And we had uh, our first year, we brought on five franchisees. Two of them failed miserably and it sucked (laughs) because I didn't, I was new. I didn't know how to manage their expectations or I didn't think about it enough. And they thought they could come in and the business would run itself. It's a franchise system. It should run itself. That's just not the case. It's still a small business and you still got to run it. You got to be out there building relationships and making sure that your people in the truck are doing a good job. So while it's not complicated, you got to work it for it to work. And so we spend a lot of time now managing people's expectations, making sure they understand, you know, the challenge ahead of them before they even get started. Love that. That's and, and that's a good franchisor. I mean, that's what you need. And it takes time to get there. And that's why I say you need them to have a couple of really good six, not a couple, but you need to have a lot of successful franchisees out there before you spend your hard earned money on it. So you got to really know what you're looking for when you're buying the franchise. What is a piece of advice, you know, a, a um, parting piece of guidance you would give to folks. And also, if you can, let people know where they can find more information on junk luggers. Yeah, so I'm going to do that twice just so they don't forget. So you go to junkluggers.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Junk Lugger Josh. You know, some good advice for people. Well, first of all, I would say that any advice that I'm going to give is already out there, right? And a lot of what I've learned has been through other people who've been there, done that and also business books. And I'm obsessed with business books. I read them all the time because I think there's just an opportunity to bottle up somebody's lifelong world of experience and you can read it in a few hours or listen to it if you don't like to read. So, you know, constantly improving, constantly improving yourself. And if you're you're not doing those things, then you're just going to be stuck in your own head and you're going to be stuck in your own world. And the opportunity to learn from others opens up your world. Right. It makes you see that there is so much more out there and, you're, and you're just, you can be thinking about things so much differently to get to the next level. And it seems that people that are really successful are so willing to share their knowledge and experience. But like you said, like 
with Larry, you had to pursue, you had to be persistent and tenacious. And and that's what it takes to be a good business owner. And if you don't have that, then you probably, probably should just stick with a nine to five job. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> or learn. <laughs> or learn. You can figure it out because yep. I, I did, you know, I was a government worker and I had a, I figured out how to really, Hell yeah, I was I was a subway conductor before I got into franchising. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? No. no. Yeah, I was the guy. I was opening and closing doors on the N and the D trains out of Coney Island. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great story. Yeah, I did that for 13 years. It was funny. And then one day a guy said to me, hey, kid, it's a great job because you'll always have a shirt on your back. He said, it'll never be a silk shirt, but you'll always have a shirt. Hmm. I was like, huh, that sounds like mediocrity to me. Wow. And that's good for a lot of people. Sometimes they people just need that steady flow. Got your cash, you know, you get your paycheck every two weeks and that's it. But I knew I wanted more. And I looked around to figure out who is wearing the, you know, metaphorical silk shirts and who was business owners for the most part. Yeah. So uh, that's what, that was my impetus for getting into business. <laughs> well, it's fun. You know, Larry, he's created a bunch of, um, you know, motivational CDs and audio. One of them is called Invictus. I love this. I listen to it almost every day because it gets me pumped up. And it talks, and one of the tracks is called Talent. And it talks about everybody has talent, different talents. And some people waste those talents and some people use those talents and develop from them. So I truly believe everybody has talents, whether you're going to be a business owner, you're going to be somebody who's important within a business, but use them, grow them, develop them and recognize them. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, Josh, I want to thank you and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for the great work you guys are doing across the country with junk luggers, more than just hauling trash. It's really awesome. Very enlightening to me as, as a franchise consultant. I'm glad that I got to hear the story. It's the kind of stories that we don't get to hear when we're you know at these conferences, kind of just, you know, high-fiving in the hallway going from session to session. So, right. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much. All your information is going to be on the FranchiseAcademy.com website. You could listen to this podcast and other podcasts as well on the FranchiseAcademy.com. Josh, thanks so much, and I uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. All right. Appreciate thank it. you, my friend. Be well. Bye. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.